really seriously wondered whether anybody would come, and uh, we were delighted when we woke up and found that we weren't snowed in again. Uh, and then the last service, you know, absolutely rammed, and I thought, well, nobody will show up at the 11.59, but look at you, God bless you guys. You know, there's definitely a brownie point somewhere for just showing up this morning, so well done, you know. Well, I don't know what your last week has been like. It's been a weird old week for many of us. You know, I, I enjoy the Christmas holiday and we had a great time. But I must say, come beginning of January, I want to get back to work. And then all this, and it kind of threw me out. And I've been at sixes and sevens all week. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe your week was a bit like this. Let's run our, our first little video clip. Well, I hope you had a good holiday when we were on holiday. And uh, Fliss and I actually got along to the movies. And uh, we, we live really near the, the you know, the... UCI place or whatever it's called in Hatfield, but we never go. But we went this week, and we at last week rather, and we saw the film Avatar. What an amazing film! Who's seen that? Just put your hand up if you've seen that movie. Did you see it in the 3D version? Yes, wonderful! It's absolutely tremendous, and I was very struck by it. I, I didn't really know a great deal about it, other than James Cameron, who did Titanic, of course. Uh, had the concept for this movie 15 years ago, but the technology didn't exist to be able to do it. Uh, And so that was intriguing to me, and they've invented a lot of technology, which, of course, needless to say, they're marketing now, but it's a phenomenal film. The effects are just extraordinary. But, hey, why don't I just show a little clip, and then we'll get into my talk. Let's run the Avatar clip. Do you know, that film is interesting because... You know, there's lots of things you can draw from it, but as I was watching it, without spoiling the story for you, it, it, it's actually not a, a particularly original plot. The, the, the central story is that, that we human beings have run out of mineral resources, and so we have the capability to go to you know, planets in far-flung corners of the galaxy, and we find this planet which is very rich in a particular kind of metal ore. The only trouble is there's this indigenous tribe who are very possessive, very protective, and we've got to get rid of them, come hell or high water. And so a, a marine is given an avatar, flesh and blood body, to join or try and ingratiate himself into the tribe in order to find out where the, you know, what their customs are, how they, they, they tick, in order to give uh, information and, and undermine them. And what happens, of course, is that instead of him getting information that he can then take back so that the military can waste these people, he goes native and uh, becomes part of them. And there's this, this critical moment, there's one or two, but there's a critical moment where, where the king's wife, who is a bit of a seer, prophetess, a priestess type, comes up and goes absolutely nose to nose with him and says, why are you here? Why are you here? It's a good question. It's a good question for all of us, actually, and and I think for followers of Jesus, it's good from time to time to ask the question, why am I here? I mean, you may be asking, you may be saying, why am I here this morning? (laughs) Why am I here? Why are we here? And of course, there is an answer that that actually God has a purpose for us. If he didn't, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that when we became Christians, in that moment when we... You know, we surrendered, we, we, we gave our lives to Christ, we asked for his forgiveness, we asked for the gift of his Holy Spirit. In that moment, you know, if it's all just about getting to heaven, God would go, ping, we would just disappear. But that doesn't happen. You know, we are here, we remain here. 
And time and again, the scripture says that, that you know, we have a purpose here. There's a, a very poignant moment in the ministry of Jesus where his popularity hits a bit of a road bump. And, and people leave him in their hundreds. And uh, one morning he gets up and his 12 disciples are kind of standing around and shuffling in the dirt and looking downcast. And he turns on them almost. He says, what are you doing here? Why don't you, are you going as well? And they kind of look a bit sheepish. And they say to him, no, Jesus, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's a real killer moment. And I hope that as, as you come here week by week and as, as, you, as you spend time with us, you, you will do more than marvel at the technology or the fact that we get an avatar clip and when it's still in the cinemas or whatever, you'll get past that. And that you'll begin to see that actually God is in the house and that his living word is at work among us. In other parts of the scriptures, in Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, we're going to be looking at the, the, the book of Colossians in just a moment, but in his writing to the book in Ephesus, he, he says very early on, he says, you know, God has a purpose for you, good works for you to do. I, I remember when I, 30 odd years ago when I became a Christian, I remember reading that just, I suppose by chance, I would have thought at the time, but I guess it was the Lord because I read it very early on. And that, that excited me. Something inside me went, oh my gosh. You mean, there's, you mean it's, there's more to just showing up? You mean that, that you, Lord, have something in mind for me? And this is a good time and a good place. And something I would encourage you to do at the beginning of this year, as well as any New Year resolutions you may care to do. You know, I've already broken mine, which was about watching my diet this year, but... But, you know, as well as all that stuff, ask yourself, ask, ask the Lord, why am I here? What have you in mind for me? And frankly, you know, a lot of you, I'm sure, will be encouraged. You will receive that sense of, well done, good and faithful servant. You're just exactly where I want you to be. But for others of us, you may, you know, we may have been taking our ease of it, taking in the view, sat down and paused a little bit too long or we may be right at the beginning of our journey not really knowing what which way is up or down in which case I'd really want to encourage you to go to uh, Rich's Alpha course we had 120 people go to that course this last year alone astounding astonishing people like you who are intelligent thinking you know articulate professional people are saying well a bit like Bear Grylls who's truly has been through Alpha, you know, what the heck is this all about? You know, what am I doing here? You know, I've got celebrity, I've got money, I've got the rest of it in big relatives' case. But, you know, why do I feel, why do I get up and life still sucks? You know, it's time to ask that question. What am I doing here? And Alpha's a great way to explore that and ask questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question. And, and just to engage with that. So God has a purpose for us. And of course, the church, you know, when we start thinking about our purpose, it, it, it functions at various levels, doesn't it? You know, our purpose you know, can be broken down into three things. There's, there's each individual's pers- purpose, and I've, I've spoken a little bit about that. We are going to be teaching about this a bit during this first, you know, first 
a term, as it were. So I'm not going to unpack these at any great length now, but, but each individual purpose, person has a purpose. In fact, the, the Bible, Jesus himself, talks about the unity that we have in him. But Paul, again, talks about us being like a body. You know, we are interdependent. That's so counterculture in this society, where independence, you know, being independently wealthy or independent is, is the name of the game. But actually, we're made in a different way. We're made to be community. And you have gifts and strengths and, and qualities and weaknesses, too, that, that we can work with and, and support one, other, one another in. So we each have an individual part to play as, as followers of Jesus. Then, of course, there's the Vineyard Church, which... Uh, I'm looking up there because I'm thinking that something would come up on the... Here we go. Yeah, the Vineyard Church, we have a purpose. You know, for, for, for years now, we've been talking about the three Gs. Gather, grow, give. Gather all who are searching for God, growing God's love and give it away. And on the website, we unpack that still further. You know, we have a unique and particular take on all of this. Because like, like every church, each church is unique and particular and has a context. And, and, and reaches out to a particular type of people. It's not exclusive, any, it's inclusive. Anyone can come. You know, come as you are, we used to say. Come as you are. Whoever you are, come as you are. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are, you know. And, uh, and yet each church, you know, has a different quality. And, and even as I speak this morning, as you well know, there are wonderful high church masses going on. There are low church Plymouth brethren. There's, you know, Pentecostal churches going for it, you know. And it's all part of the glory. People sometimes misunderstand this. They say to me, why is the church so fractured? You know, it isn't gray, monochrome. Church is about life and it expresses the vitality it expresses the variety. It expresses all of that life and, uh, that, that we see you know, in life itself. And so there's all types and we are part of that. But the universal church, taking the biggest umbrella, of course, has Christ's commission. And we play our part in that too of making disciples. The purpose of the universal church is to make disciples. And in particular... That is to make Christ known. And I could teach on that now. And in fact, I was up at 1 o'clock this morning rewriting the sermon. Because I've done a great teaching on that. But I'm going to leave that for a bit later on. But we as the body of Christ, whatever shape or size or whatever sign is on the door, we are to make Christ known. Paul the Apostle, it was his driving, his driving kind of ethos to make Christ known. That was his, his motto, his life verse, make Christ known. And we'll be looking at that a little bit more at the moment, in just a moment. And in speaking of Paul, one of the little verses that, that kind of arrested me and started me on this journey at the beginning of the week was that I came across a passage in Colossians. I've mentioned Ephesians. Paul also wrote Colossians. And uh, it's one of the letters that you know, Bible scholars call the prison letters. He was under house arrest for a couple of years. And it was during that time that he wrote Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and also Philemon, one or two other books and, and letters. He was frustrated. He was going stir crazy, a bit like maybe some of you 
I've been a bit stir-crazy this week. You know, I, I had plans for this week, and like many of us, I've had to change my plans, change my work schedules. Some things I've been able to do, some things I've had to say, I can't do that until the weather t- clears up. And it's, I go a bit crazy, you know, it sort of frustrates me. And poor old Paul was, was locked in, was, was under house arrest for two years. Now, this guy was Mr. Active. This was the guy who never stayed anywhere for any great length of time. He was always on the road again, church planting, overseeing, you know, preaching, all the rest of it. And he's under house arrest for two years, and it's driving him nuts. So amongst other things, he, he writes letters, he keeps in communication. Of course, he didn't have, needless to say, he didn't have internet or anything like that, telephones. So everything took forever. And the Colossian church was a little bit different because, because for him, actually, it wasn't a church that he knew particularly well. He only knew it by reputation. In fact, one of his kind of right-hand men, a guy called Epaphras, who had helped him plant the church in Ephesus. Maybe you've been to modern-day Ephesus, been to the ruins there. Epaphras went up country about 100 miles inland to Colossae, and he planted a church. He started a church. Then it took off. And, and needless to say, Paul was absolutely thrilled to bits. Like, he's the granddaddy. He's not the daddy, but the granddaddy, because his son, Epaphras, son in Christ, goes and starts this thing, and what a buzz that is. But then he becomes concerned, because he begins to hear some things about the, the church in, in Colossae. And in this little reading that we're going to look at in just a moment, um, you, you can draw out, and I'll help you understand it, I'll help you see it, some, some of the concerns because it was beginning to go a bit wacky, going a bit off the ball. The church there was under pressure to be accommodating when it came to new influences and new emerging philosophies. And it sounded harmless enough to begin with, but, but Paul was very concerned about what he, had to, what, what he was hearing. And in fact, with good reason. Scholars have argued a bit about when this was written, but I think most people are coming down around about 50, 60 years after Christ. Uh, so it would be towards the end of Paul's life and ministry. But at that stage, he was beginning to hear about people who were coming into the church and saying, yeah, but this is great. You know, uh, oh, yeah, this Christian stuff is really fabulous. But you know what? You've still got to keep the law of Moses, you know. So there was what they call the Judaizing element, you know, the whole ritualistic thing. Yeah, you, you can't let that go. And these new Christians who didn't know up from down thought, whoa, really? I didn't know. That. We, we weren't told anything about that. Is that right? So that was beginning. Interestingly enough, the other and more serious threat was, was what was to become known as the Gnostic heresy that really didn't come to fruition until the second or third century. And it was all about knowledge, all about inside knowledge. It was, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, you do that, that's fine, that's great. I love what you're doing for the poor, that's really nice. But actually, you know, you are missing the fullness of God's wisdom. Because if you hang out with us and if you join our secret society, we will give you the seven wonders of Ning Nang Nong. And you will be taken on the path to the pyramid of the seeing eye of something or other. And there was a whole plethora, a galaxy of 
what they call Gnostic religions. It was a bit like the New Age thing. Difficult to define, but, but, it, but the way, it was from the Greeks, and they were very cerebral. And the, the essence of it was secret knowledge. Words like mystery were, were dripping with meaning. Words like wisdom. That was a very Jewish concept. But actually, the Gnostics took the idea of wisdom on and gave it a bit of a twist. And, of course, knowledge. And so this is the context that... That, that Paul is beginning to identify, which will give you a little understanding of what we're about to read now, Paul's purpose. So Colossians chapter 2, begin, beginning at verse 2, <clears throat> not, not a lot, great chunk, just want to begin to dip our toe in it today, but let me just read this fast and then we'll make, I'll make some comments as I go through. Paul says, my purpose is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding. Let's pause there. Three things he's wanting to do. He's sensing that their, their heads are a bit down. He's wanting to bring new heart. He's wanting to, to raise their morale. So he's, he's writing to encourage them. He's writing to, to say, come on, guys. Yeah, this is worth. This, you know, Christ died for you and he's worth it. So there's that, that morale-boosting element. Secondly, it goes on, he says, uh, that, and I'm, I'm hoping that what I'm doing here is going to help you be united in love. Now, this actually is easy to trip off the tongue, but this is a very important concept with Paul. In the first chapter, he talks about one of the hallmarks of the Colossian church being their love in the spirit. Their love in the spirit. And, and this whole love in the spirit concept is, is really like fruit, it's, it's the consequences of a church getting it right. Love in the spirit. You can't factor it. You can't manufacture it. You can't put on a cheesy smile, eyes and teeth, and have it. It's something that is a byproduct of a church that is loving God, loving its neighbor, and serving the world. And when we get that right, something begins to happen. I, I, I want to say to you, here we are, 21st century, in this region. Regional church. You know, people drove down from flipping Burkhamster this morning to be here. It's just amazing. Stevenage, you know, incredible. The distances people travel just to be here. And very often when we, we have visitors coming in, it's not, oh, I like the avatar clip that they talk about or the, 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 the atrium or I love the tree or the coffee or the, isn't this a nice building? Or any, They don't talk about that. They talk about that later, if at all. I, I want to commend you guys because what they, they say is, I don't know what it is about you guys, but you're very, there's something here, there's a, a warmth, there's that hospitality thing maybe. Um, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. it. It feels like there's some sort of, I don't know, love going on or something. And time and again, we have conversations like that where people are struggling for words because it's so counterculture. It's so not what you get. And then later on they might say, lovely building, or like what you've done with a wallpaper or something. But it, it's this thing which one hopes is part of the experience. This thing that Paul refers to, this, this being united in spirit. It's a fruit of God's presence amongst his people. And a people who are in love with God, learning to love one another and seeking to serve the world. 
So there you have it. So he is, he's, he's encouraging them that they might be united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Now, in the light of what I just said, you, you, you're getting the drift here. He's beginning to address this kind of, this, this kind of little assault. Is it too strong a word to use? Possibly. This little thing that's coming into the church where people are saying, yeah, but they're undermining the sense that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He's, he's saying, I want you to have complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God. Now, the mystery, that word there, this is Gnostic language. People are saying, yeah, you want to come to our place. You want to come and knock three times and ask for Alice and somebody will let you in and, and you'll be told the mystery of life. This is a big gig, this mystery thing. Hi, Paul just hijacks this. He just says, well, I'm not going to let that word become your word. A bit like the word, you know, we use the word gay. You know, I wouldn't, one of my neighbors here is, uh, is here. And I, I would often say to Pete, Paul, uh, Peter rather, I'd say, you're very gay today, Peter. Um, no, I don't. I wouldn't dream of saying that. Because the word has been hijacked by part of our society. And it's become to mean something. Well, Paul wasn't standing it. People were using this word mystery. And it wasn't Christian. And he said, blow that for a lark. You know, that there is a mystery in Christ. You know, the angels wanted to know what was on God's heart and mind before Christ. But he kept it to himself. And when he finally revealed himself in his son Jesus at Christmas, we just celebrated that. Wow! Nobody could have seen that happening. Nobody could have foreseen that. They were blown away by the mystery. And Paul refuses to surrender that. And he says to this little church, he says, listen, don't let these people come in and say you haven't got the mystery. The mystery is in Christ. God became man in the flesh. That is the mystery. So he's taking this full on. He goes on to say this. He says, verse 3, in whom are hidden, hidden knowledge, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, wisdom, this loaded word. He, he takes it on. He refuses to surrender that word, that part of the vocabulary to those other religions. He says, you're looking for wisdom? You know where you'll find wisdom? You'll find wisdom in Christ. All God's wisdom, all God's hidden knowledge, all God's understanding is in him. He goes on to say, verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are, how firm your faith in Christ is. What Paul is doing there, even though he's a little concerned, which is why he's written this letter, he's casting vision there. He's, 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 he's saying, look, I, I know you guys. I've heard about you. You're going to come through. You know, I know that the, the, the gospel, the mystery of Christ, the wisdom of Christ is well rooted in you. And, and what he's doing is he's casting vision. He's, he's actually telling them or teaching them how they're going to respond to this. They're going to be resolute. They're going to stand firm. They're going to resist this, this dripping tap of, of kind of undermining philosophy and worldly wisdom that would undermine the, the exclusive call of Christ. 
So he's kind of casting vision there as any good leader worth his salt in that situation would. Verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, and Lord, of course, again, is dripping with meaning. Lord is an expression in the Greek which is Lord over all. Not one deity or one king or one power or one principle. Lord is reserved for sovereign of the universe. God himself. You receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Continue to believe in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And overflowing with thankfulness. Last week those of you who were here will have heard Dennis preach on Psalm 1 and use that lovely image in Psalm 1 about you know, the man or the woman who is in Christ is like a tree planted by a, a lovely, beautiful river. It doesn't matter what happens with climate change. It doesn't matter what happens with the weather. Their roots are well down into good, fertile, moist soil. They are going to flourish. And of course, if you were here, you will have heard Dennis you know, say very well, I thought. Lots of people come to me and said how much they appreciated his message. If you missed it, check it out on the podcast. But he said, you know, you need to, you know, if you're going to make any kind of a New Year resolution, resolve to read God's word day by day. And if you haven't got a Bible, we'll give you one. Do more than read it. Study it. Dig a bit. Ask questions of it. Engage with it. Unpack it. You know, there's, oh, we are awash with with study guys these days. And thirdly, and I love this bit, he said meditate. You know, don't just become an academic, you know, head knowledge person. Sit quietly. Kind of just chew on it. Just consider what you've, written, uh, you've read and ask yourself the question, you know, how does this work for me? How does this look in the context of my life? What is my purpose? All sorts of things in that quietness will, will come out of that. And I, I loved what he had to say. And I want to read this passage again. This is not the whole passage, just the last three verses. Because I came across it in another version, the New Living Translation. And it reminded me so much of what Dennis said last week that I thought I would just treat you and, and read it. This last verse 6 to uh, 7 here, it says here, Now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to him. Let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him. So you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he has done. I love that sort of imagery. Let your roots go down deep. Draw up nourishment so that you might be vigorous. There's, there's gardening language if ever there was one. I'm not much of a gardener, I have to say. But just what, and what was being said last week, this sense of digging deep into, into Christ so that whatever happens in our world, our society, the weather, our jobs, our future... We understand what our purpose is. We know how we fit in, how God's disposed towards us. It gives you, it will give us, it will give this vineyard church, it will give the universal church something that makes us a little otherly. Something that will be a little culture, uh, counterculture. Something that will intrigue people. They will say to you, why? 
what's happened to you these days? You're not freaking out like you used to. What is it with you? I can see with a few smiles going on. That kind of conversation is already taking place. So there we have it then. Paul's purpose. But really all of this and encouragement to you at the beginning of this year to, to pray what may seem like a dangerous prayer to you. But it isn't really. To begin to pray, to tug Father's sleeve and say, Father, what's my purpose I want to encourage you because for some of you, what you are doing is exactly what God intended you to be. I haven't in mind that you should sell up everything and go and be a monk on some pillar of salt in the Sinai Desert. You know, let me know if that's what it comes out for because that would be really weird and really interesting. But the reality is that I know how easy it is to lose track. You know, life happens. And sometimes life sucks. And it's easy just to lose track of the big picture. The thing that holds us steady. The thing that that binds us together. That keeps us centered on him and, and centered on his purpose. And finally, if I might dare to point out again, be thankful. Oh man, you know, I've been thankful this week for my boiler. Why? Because even though it's only five years, it keeps trying to break down. And I keep fiddling with it, and it kicks in again. What that has done has made me incredibly grateful for the fact it's working in this weather. You know, to cultivate within yourself an attitude of godly thankfulness is a wonderful thing. I'm, I'm thankful for what God is doing here. You know, this last year has been a phenomenal year. We've grown by 20%. Our kids' ministry, as, as I think I may have told you before, has, has grown by 300 attendees every quarter. That's why we're having to advertise for, for a new uh, assistant children's pastor. We have nearly 30 life groups. These are small groups of between 6, 7, right up to 20 or 30 people meeting region-wide. As I said earlier on, we've had 120 people Go through Alpha. Hazel, our administrative assistant, says that we're getting inquiries now at the rate of 10 a week. People wanting to know more about Jesus. This is not about AV presentations and all the rest of it. You just go out into any shopping mall. You'll see as good, even better. But it is about that fruit of the spirit, that sense of God's presence among us, that God is in the house that there's something to be discovered. There's something to be found. And Paul would say, he is everything. There ain't anything more. There's nothing to be added. Don't take anything away. Just take it all. Have it all. And don't give up until you've found all in him. Amen. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you for your presence, and I thank you for the, this coming year. Thank you for all that we've seen and experienced in the past. But Lord, I also want to say thank you for all that you have in mind for us in this coming year as individuals. And Lord, I, I, for myself, I, I really want to know what it is that you have in store for me, and I, wa- I want to walk in that. I don't want to just let life happen to me. I want to make decisions 
I want to set a course that will keep me focused on you and your purposes for me. For there's life. Lord, I also want to say thank you for all that you've done in the Vineyard Church and thank you for all that you are doing and intend to do. We want to walk in that. And then I want to ask your blessing and and thank you for the church in this region and pray, Lord God, that your church would be faithful to its charge to make Christ known, make disciples, that, Lord God, your king and his kingdom may come. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.